pray and get into this or I'm gonna get in trouble. Father, we, uh, we do thank you once again, God, for that opportunity to study your word. And Lord, as we see this written here that God was written to a group of people who were struggling, a group of people who weren't sure what was gonna happen in the future or what the future uh, would hold for them. And Lord, I pray that as this author had insight for them to encourage them and to strengthen them and to even challenge them, I, I pray that we would listen to your heart for us that you would speak to all of us, Lord, you'd speak to us individually, directly, that you would speak to us, Lord, uh, collectively as a body, and Lord, that most of all, we would hear and we would be doers of your word. So I pray that you would just bless this time, that you would be present and powerful, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we, as we get into this, I want to do a little bit more background again. Once again, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of things we talked about last time. And even when I'm teaching through it, I may say Paul wrote. It's not that I believe Paul wrote this because I'm not really sure. I'm one of those guys and I'm not real sure Paul wrote it. I'm more not. But because I'm teaching a letter and stuff, oftentimes, you know, well, here's what Paul said. I hope I remember to say the author because we don't know who. But what we do know is what's important. What we do know is who he was writing to. He was writing to some believers that were struggling. And that's why I love the book of Hebrews. Some people are afraid of Hebrews, as we mentioned last time, because of the warning passages. But if you understand the warning passages were written to people who were struggling, trying to maintain their faith and walk with God, then it makes a whole lot more sense and they're not so scary. These guys are pretty messed up. I believe it was a bunch of Christians in Rome who were struggling. Now remember the early church Christians mainly were, were comprised of Jews who had been converted. Last week I, I did a survey of how, many of how many Jews do we have here and one person out of all three services raised their hand and they're not a real reliable person so I'm not sure they were a Jew. They just like raised their hand because they uh, went on a DNA test site and they found out they had 1% of something and so yeah, I'm, you know, so. And, and that's fine but if we did that same question in a first century church, everyone would raise their hand. You would have to say how many of you are Gentiles and maybe one person would raise their hand. So keep that in mind. So you have a bunch of Hebrews who have been converted, but they're struggling with their faith. You see, the world is coming against them. We talked about it's about the time where Nero's gonna do some intense persecution. So they're sort of facing that. I don't think it's happened yet personally, but, but close, but they're facing that. But then they're also facing all of, the, all of the, the, the hassle and the stigma they're getting from the other side, from the Jews. They've left, according to the Jews, you left your faith you, and their family ostracized them, their community ostracized them. So they're going through all of that stuff. No wonder they struggled. No wonder they had doubts. No wonder they were sort of drifting away. So today what we're gonna look at was I think an area that really kinda was difficult for them because of their Hebrew background. And so we're gonna talk about angels today. We're gonna do a little bit of a, a study, a little bit of angel, angelology, if you will. We're gonna look at it a little bit more in depth to kinda help us understand 
But just, uh, and we'll get back to this, but for them, the, by the first century, the rabbis had so embellished what the Jew, or what the Jews, what the angels had to do with their faith that they were almost worshiping angels. So here's what I think's going on. You're in the church, you don't wanna be unfaithful to Jesus, but you don't really wanna lose your family. So how about if we do this? How about if we compromise a little bit and we make Jesus an angel and he's part of that whole thing and then maybe that'll be okay. Compromise. Now listen, I don't think most of us are struggling with that same struggle. But I think we do struggle on compromising who Jesus is and what he's done. So the author of Hebrews all through this, all he's gonna do is exalt Jesus. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than the priesthood. Jesus is greater than angels. And he's doing that over and over so they will understand really who Jesus is. So having said that, listen, uh, a little bit about angels is number one, first and foremost, you may have to even write this down. I think most of us know this, but angels are created beings. God created angels, number one. Number two, angels are angels, humans are humans. When you go to heaven, you're not gonna get angel wings. I'm sorry if I'm busting up something you've been counting on and hoping for. You're not, you don't go to heaven and become an angel. When you go to heaven, you're still a human. So you need to understand that, that, you know, two different, different, quote, species, if you will, that God created. And then number three, Jesus is not an angel. And that's vitally important to understand. So having said that, the angels are mentioned over two, or over uh, almost 300 times in Scripture. That's a lot. So here's what I know, they're important in God's plan and they're part of God's plan, what he's doing on this planet, but we need to be careful that they maintain their position that God has given them and we don't try to embellish and exonerate them and, and lift them up. They're angels, they're servants, we're gonna find out. So a little bit about them, I wrote down some scriptures, you can take pictures of these because I'm gonna go through them kind of fast, but number one, first and foremost, angels are continually worshiping God and praising God. And here's some references for you, you can get your phone out and click that real quick if you wanna look those up. But that's number one, that's what they do. They worship and they praise God. Then also, angels communicate God's message to man, and you can go through these scriptures and look at them and read them, and they're part of what, listen, they communicate to us sometimes, not strictly, but sometimes God will send an angel to give a message. And in the Old Testament, when, or even in the New Testament, when angels show up, what do people generally do? They freak out. What, is, what are the first words out of an angel's mouth in the Bible? Fear not, don't be afraid, whatever, however we wanna do it. Why, why are those the first words? Because the people are freaking out, that's why. And hey, I get people telling me sometimes, you know an angel visited me the other day while I was shaving and we just had a conversation. I'm thinking, I don't think so. Angel shows up while you're shaving, you're probably gonna cut your throat and you know, bleed out or something. It's gonna freak you out. Now, the Bible does say later on in Hebrews, he does say that 
we need to be careful because sometimes we can entertain angels unaware and they can show up. When, when, whenever I read that passage or think of that passage, when we planted the church in Bisbee, when we planted the Calvary in Bisbee, this guy showed up. I'm downstairs and I'm studying and the guy shows up, he comes downstairs and this is a real Bisbee woo story. So he comes down and, and he's sitting there and he's talking to me and he's sort of down and out. He's hurting, I could tell that. And he's not 100%, we'll just say it that way. And so we're having this conversation, and, and I said, hey, do you, like, need some help, or do you need a ride someplace, or something going on? And I'm not exaggerating. He goes, no, I'm fine. And he, and he reaches down, and he pulls this huge roll of cash out of his sock. I'm going, dude, put that back in your sock. And he goes, what's the matter? I go, someone's going to knock you in the head and take your money, you know? I said, don't, don't, don't be pulling that out in front of people. And you know, I don't know how much was there, but it was a lot, and so I got him to get it back in his sock. We talked some more, and I said, hey, why don't I drive you downtown where you can do some stuff, because we're Lois, and so we're getting in the car, and here's what he does. This was, a, this was a, the capstone of all that. He goes, do you think I'm an angel? Now I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. Beware lest you entertain angels unaware, right? So that's kind of, I'm trying to process that. But then I'm also thinking, is he like telling me he might be an angel or is he not sure whether he's an angel or not? I was trying to figure that out. So I just took, I, listen, I took a chance and thought, he doesn't know. So I go, dude, you are not an angel. He goes, oh, thank you. So anyway, that was, so that enough of angels, right? So sometimes they show up with messages. That was not one of the time. And then also angels are, are uh, uh, a minister to believers and, and they come and minister. Now I kind of have these out of order. Let me do this one. Angels will be God's agent in the final earthly judgment and the second coming. That's again in Matthew 13 and 24, 1 Thessalonians, Revelation. Angels are gonna be very involved in the end times. As a matter of fact, it says, an angel's gonna proclaim the gospel around the world. So we have that. And then and, and, uh, uh, we have that angels communicate God's, or I'm sorry, angel minister to believers. And again, they come and as you can look up in Psalms and we're gonna read some of that and the book of Acts, they're there. So now we have an understanding that's what they do. And again, read some of those passages I put up. So what has happened by the first century, the rabbis have so embellished the whole idea of angels in God's plan that you know the passage in Genesis that says, come, let us make man in our image. Now, I would hope that you understand that's the Godhead, that's the Trinity, the us. They taught that it was 200 angels surrounding God who were God's counselors, and they're gonna help him out. So see how they began to embellish? Yeah, they're there, but they're not part of the creation. They didn't create. Oh, and then they came up with this thing that, that there was, over, there was uh, over 200 other angels who were keeping the universe going. 
Like they're out there like keeping this thing going. We just read last week, it's Jesus who holds everything together. And then, and then this was my favorite. They have an angel for the wind. They even have an angel for the, they call it the calendar angel. The calendar angel keeps the days going sequentially and working. I don't know quite how that happens, but that's his job. They have a snow angel, no pun intended. They have a rain angel. They have a wind angel, all of these angels. So are you kind of getting the point? Listen, these guys that were written to had been inundated with this all their lives. And so they're got that. And so maybe, just maybe they, hey, let's just shift Jesus a little bit and make him an angel, as I said before. And then we won't be in trouble with our family. We won't be in trouble with the other Jews. We'll be okay. And yet we'll still be faithful to Jesus. That was the issue that was going on. That's what was happening in their hearts. Now, again, I believe we can do that in different ways in our culture, in our generation. Here's what I found. You can talk to people about Jesus. You can talk to people about Jesus all day long. Hey, you can go to Bisbee, go to the New Age places. You can talk to them about Jesus until you bring up the blood. You bring up the blood and the cross and then people start getting cross. They start getting angry, they start coming against you. You see, that's the Jesus of the Bible who died on the cross for our sins. So we have to be careful that we don't compromise for the sake of making Jesus palatable to somebody else. So that was, you know, their problem was angels, our problem could be something else, but they're trying to work through that and deal with that. now. Once again, they were instrumental in bringing the, uh, and, and part of bringing the old covenant. He gave it to Moses, but they were there. They were part of that. And again, they exalted him. So this author's going, look it, we need to step back and we need to take a look. He's just talking about how God communicated through Jesus, through his son in these last days, how his son created everything. And we left off, his son is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's purged our sins and he sat down. Now verse four, listen to what it says. After he sat down with the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son. So listen to the heart of this author of Hebrews and where he's going. When he's talking here, it almost sounds like this person he's talking about suddenly came on the scene. Now, the son did, but we need to know something. The second person of the Trinity, and it's kind of hard to, to talk about it this way, has always existed. The son has not always existed, we'll talk about that. But the person, the second person of the Trinity has always existed. We worship God, and we worship God in three persons. That's the best way to put it. You can say distinct beings. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to, to, to get in our concept because you know what? God's infinite and we're finite. How do you understand the Trinity? People, you know, I love it. You know, I, I tell people I can't explain it. So then they come up and they try to explain it to me. And they tell me things like this, like a hard-boiled egg. My God's not a hard-boiled egg. That does not work for me. Cherry pie, that's the worst one. People go, he's kind of like a cherry pie. No, a pie's a pie. You know, and then they come, you know, he's like, Water, steam, and ice. No, that doesn't work either. And, you know, so we try and do all these things. 
God is huge. The concept of the Trinity is difficult for us to understand. Oh, and my favorite is, it's like you. And they'll tell me, you know, like you, you're pastor to the, to the body of believers, and to Gaynell, you're her husband, and to Leah, you're her dad. All that is is titles. We're not worshiping a God that has three different titles. We're worshiping three different be- beings. And, you know, I should have done a slide for this, but I didn't. It's, it's like in, in Bible college, and I think you can imagine this. In Bible college, they drew this thing, and it was one of the best ways to explain it, a triangle. And in the center of the triangle, it says God. And here it says Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Father. The Son's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, are you getting? So on the outside, you can write is not, but going in, you can write is. Now, don't go away and say, got it. God's a triangle. I'm not trying to say that because I know you guys, and you'll kind of, so don't do that. But listen, The second person of the Trinity has always existed, but there came a time when he came. And we just sing about that, right? He came to earth and he came as a son. So when he says, having become much better than the angels, he's not saying that's when he became existed. That's when the son was resurrected and sat at the right hand of the father, the son then exhibited how much higher he is than the angels. And so that becoming is that. And when he says the inheritance, again, it's a sign of the son. And then when he says, to which of the angels did he ever say, today you are my son, I've begotten you. Once again, it's when the second person of the Trinity took on humanity and became Jesus Christ. That's what's being explained. Once again, that's not when he began to exist, That's when that Jesus, if you will, the son began to exist, yes, but the second person of the Trinity has always been there. You guys with me? You're not like, your head's not spinning yet? You with it? So, yes, there was a point where the son began to exist as the son, but as God, he's always been. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Listen, John MacArthur, John MacArthur says this great. You know, I'm just gonna quote him, and I think it'll help. He said, did not Jesus always have a better name? Because he's talking about his, his being exalted. Yes, but he obtained another one. He was always God, but he became the son. He did not always have the title son. You know, in eternity past, they didn't say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They just existed together. You know, before anything was created, that's a hard one to figure out, right? That's when my Bisbee mind goes when I try and imagine eternity past, that's difficult. I can kind of get a hold of eternity future because I'm living now and I kind of I will live for, forever forward, but going backwards forever, that's a tough one. Before anything was, do you, know, do you know before anything was, God always was? Do that for a while. Sit at your desk and do that. Pretty soon you, and then take a trip to Bisbee and make everything come in. Focus, right? So listen, he, he says, listen, he says, he says, he did not always have that title, son. That is his incarnation title. Eternally, he's God, 
but only from his incarnation did he become son. Does that kind of help what's going on? So this is what the author is trying to get in their hearts. You guys, he's not an angel. He's greater than the angels, but he became son when he was begotten and, 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 and put in, in Mary's womb. And then greater than that, he powerfully demonstrated he was the son when he rose again. Some say he like had two births. He had the virgin birth and then he had the birth of being rose, rose again, of being raised again to eternal life or, or raised again to heaven. And so that's who he is. Some people call it, and listen, one person said it this way. He became son at birth and he was declared to be son in the resurrection. In the fullness of his sonship comes his twice birth. So the author is saying, think about who we're talking about now a little bit more. Look at verse six. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world. So once again, we're kind of dealing with something that we could struggle with. Firstborn, what do you mean he was the firstborn? If he was the firstborn, that means there was some other born, right? That's kind of the way logic goes. Firstborn is not giving us a time frame, especially biblically. Biblically, firstborn is always a place of, a position of, of privilege and a position of authority. Jacob was not the firstborn. He was called the firstborn, right? And we could go on and on through scripture. There's tons of examples in scripture where they were called the firstborn, but they weren't the firstborn. But they were firstborn as far as privilege and et cetera. So he's just giving Jesus that title. And then he says this, listen. He says, but again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now, I think, I think that's one of the most powerful declarations here. He says, hey, guys, pay attention. Let the angels of God worship him. Now, to me, that distinctly says that he's God. Only God is supposed to be worshiped. And it cracks me up when people go, well, Jesus never declared himself to be God. Well, he accepted worship a couple times. This is not, and then it's declared here and it's declared in Revelation. And when people tell me that Jesus never did that, here's what I ask them, because I'm rude. I go, have you read your Bible? Because it's not, listen, it's very biblical. And I want us to get a biblical idea of who Jesus is. The problem with these Hebrew believers that he's writing to is their theology is getting messed up because they're getting their theology from the teaching of rabbis, from the Talmud, from other writings. We need to get our theology from the scriptures and we need to draw it from there. Don't read something and come and tell me, I read this book and here's what's happening in that world. Now, I think in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, the whole angel thing was much bigger. It doesn't seem to be, to me, as big, or maybe it's just the circles I'm running around in. I remember in the early 80s, you guys remember, or I'm sorry, late 80s, or early 90s, when Frank Peretti wrote This Present Darkness. That's a good book to read. It's fun. But it's fiction. When people come to me and start drawing theology from fiction, I would tell people, did you know what Frank Peretti said in his book? It's a story. It's not Bible. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a story. Don't read stories and get your theology. Get your theology from what scriptures say. So here's what he's saying, man. He's saying, let all the angels worship him. Again, quoting Psalm 97 or maybe even Deuteronomy 32. And then of the angels, verse 7 
7 and it says, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers flames of fire. So I want you to notice how he keeps contrasting, right? He lifted up Jesus and he said, of which of the angels did he ever say, uh, let all the angels of God worship him? But of the angels, he says, listen, they're ministering spirits. And that's what the, you know, the whole purpose of angels are to be messengers, are to be ministers. They're here for us. Although I don't believe, I don't believe in the whole idea that we have a guardian angel. Now, you can if you want. I don't care. If you want a guardian angel, you can have one. I have the Holy Spirit. I have like God on my side. What do I want a puny angel for when God is here? And if I do have a guardian angel, he is bummed up, man. This guy is probably in a wheelchair. He's like a mess, man. He's like, he's telling the father, would you take this guy home, man? I cannot endure anymore. So, I, I, I want God on my side, and that's, that's what he says. But listen how he says, here's Jesus, here's the angels. They're ministering spirits, and, and they do. And when he says, they, and, and this, is, this is kind of, the quote's kind of weird here on, on Psalm 104, and his ministers of flames of fire. Listen, he's not saying angels come and throw smoke or fire grenades at us. What he's saying is sometimes their messages are on fire, meaning touching hearts and doing things. And again, if you read in the Psalms and read in Hebrews, if you read Hebrews chapter one, you're gonna read something, you go to the reference in Psalms, and I think most of you have footnotes in your Bibles, right? That's why I didn't put them up. You can read your footnotes, not right now. They're little, you guys are all going like this. But you can read your footnotes. When you go to the Psalms and you read it, like you read Psalm 104, it's not gonna be exactly the same as it is in Hebrews because of this. What he is quoting, this guy is quoting the Septuagint. He's quoting the Greek translation of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, most of your footnotes have a little note that it's LXX, that means 70, right? And maybe you do, maybe you don't, but that means that's from that translation so it'll be a little bit different but the meaning's the same and and so listen here's what he says Jesus he says all the angels of God are going to worship him the angels they're ministering spirits now here's the contrast again look at verse 8 but he to the son he says your throne O God is forever and ever notice to the son he says your throne O God is forever and ever. He's never gonna get off. The scepter, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now, I personally, I love that section because this is exalting Jesus to the position he should be. But not only that, it's giving me a little bit of the heart of Jesus. Notice he says he loves righteousness. Jesus loves holiness, loves righteousness, but he hates lawlessness. I believe as we grow, grow closer and closer to God, we should love holiness and desire that for ourselves, right? But we should hate sin. Now, not hate sinners, be careful but hate sin. And more importantly, we should hate sin as it touches our lives, not in somebody else. It's easy to judge other people, isn't it? Someone nod their head, thank you. 
rest of you are hypocrites. But it's, easy, it's easier to, to judge other people, and we tend to do that. When I'm talking about hating sin, what I'm talking about is we remove ourselves as far as we can from something that's going to destroy our lives. And, and listen, man, we need, a, I think we need a whole new perspective, especially in this generation of culture we live in. We need to get this perspective in our hearts. Now listen, I stole this quote from somebody. I would like to tell you this is my quote, but I can't lie from the pulpit. Listen to this quote. To the extent you choose to be holy is the extent to which you will be happy. Wow, have you ever really thought about that? Let me phrase it a different way. To the extent you choose to follow God, to that extent you're gonna have peace. To the extent you choose to be obedient to what the Lord puts in front of you, to that extent, you're gonna have contentment. We could go all day long, couldn't we? Listen how powerful that is when we begin to think that way. So whether we say holiness or righteousness or, or, or obedience or whatever, when you do that, here's the way I read this section here. When you do that, man, he's gonna anoint you with the oil of gladness. I like the idea. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could say, okay, after service today, we're gonna go in a prayer room. You wanna come in a prayer room? We got the oil of gladness. And that would be, everybody would line up for that, wouldn't we? Well, you know how you get the oil of gladness? Follow him. Be obedient, love righteousness. Now, this person says, and this is something that I think should hit our hearts. So if that's true, conversely, to the extent you compromise holiness is the extent to which you diminish happiness. I believe us older people can say amen to that a lot more than younger people. Because we have experienced the making of unhappiness, <laughs> we'll just put it that way. We've experienced the sin, we've experienced that stuff, and you know, and, and it burdens me when I talk to young people and, and I'm trying to tell them, and, and I can just see in their eyes, here's what they're, yeah, you're old. That's what old people say. You know why old people say it? because they know they've had life experience. And as younger people, we should want to listen to some of the older people. I try to listen to older people. I remember years ago, I went up in the Huachuca Mountains and, and there's a, on the other side of the Huachucas, there was that place called, I think it was called Sunnydale or something. There was a big uh, sawmill and stuff up there and I met this old guy. At that time, he was like really close to 100. John McIntyre, I met him. Me and a couple other guys went. We sat there and we began talking to him. And here's the thing that fascinated me. Almost everything that came out of his mouth was scripture. And we're like sitting there and we're, you know, we're young guys. We're poking here. Listen to this guy, man. He doesn't even know he's quoting scripture and he's quoting scripture. You know, it was just flowing out. And then I'll never forget, man. He looks at us and he said, hey, you boys. And that's always good when someone calls you that, right? It makes you just feel that much younger. Hey, boys. Here's what he said. Do you think Jesus is coming soon? Now, I have to be really honest. You know what went in my head? For you, definitely. You know, you don't have much long. I mean, that's just being honest. That's just who I am. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I don't know for everybody, but I know for you, you know, the bus is getting loaded. So, you know, but, but what a guy, man. Listen to some of the older people who have walked with Jesus and enjoyed him. So, again, you want oil of gladness? Desire holiness. That's something we're losing in the church today. Go after that. Then, now, 
a little bit more. Listen, now he's, he's going to get just kind of stuck on this whole idea of, of Jesus and who he is. Verse 10, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, and they will perish, but you remain. Don't you love? Listen, it goes better and better. They will grow old like, an, like a garment, and like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years never fell. Woo! That's our God. I don't care what goes on out there. I don't care how, how crazy it gets. Our God is faithful. He's steadfast. Hence the whole idea of Hebrews is an anchor. Jesus is an anchor to our soul. We start looking at him. And even though, here's what he's going to do with this whole thing that, that we call our universe someday. He's going to go, well, I'm kind of done with this. What do, you do with, what do you do with old clothes? You fold them up and give them to missionaries. Usually that's not good. By the way, it always cracks me up when people go, I'm going to give these to missionaries. They deserve so much. Well, if they deserve so much, why don't you give them your new clothes and you keep the old clothes? I don't want to do that. You know, the Navajo Nation has a word for missionary. You know what it is? Giver of old clothes. Hmm. <laughs> So I don't, uh, sorry, I went off on that. Man, by the way, on that, do not give the Salvation open bottles of water, the Salvation Army. They want sealed ones, okay? So, but listen, he, he, it's like he folds up this thing like an old garment, and he's done. God is in control. He knows everything's going on. It's not going to fold up till he's done with it. And then, and then, listen, he says all of that, God's years will never fail, but... To which of the angels, now here's the comparison. To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Did he ever say that to an angel? Did he say it to any of them? No, he said it to Jesus. This is the second time in 13 verses that he brings up, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Do you know where Jesus is? Clue, he's at the right hand of the Father. That's good. That's a position of power. That's a position of authority. We talked about it last week. But for me, the greatest truth in that is he is really close to the Father. And when Satan is accusing me and Satan is telling the Father, that Pat, man, he is a mess. Look at his guardian angel, how bummed up he is. And he's a mess. And, and Jesus is right there to whisper in his ear, but he's mine. I got him. Hmm? I love that thought. He's right there on his right. He's right there to take care of us. He never said it to an angel. Now, there are cults today who exalt angels to the position of Jesus. Mormons, they will tell you that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. You need to understand, I know all we think about is Lucifer as the devil, but he was a created angel at one point. He fell. They say they're brothers, the Jehovah's Witnesses says, Michael, the archangel, is Jesus. Listen, that is all false teaching and false doctrine that we need to understand. Jesus is God. Angels are angels. Jesus created the angels. And so he says, man, to which of those did he ever say that? And then 
Here's kind of the, here's where I think sometimes we kind of get the guardian angel stuff from. In verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits set forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Here's what he's saying. Angels are, are part of God's plan in our life and God sent them as messengers or as servants to us and that's good. That doesn't mean you command angels, by the way. You don't have your brigade to command. It says God is commanding the angels on our behalf. Now, as we wrap this up, something I want us to think about. I, I love thinking about that. And here's what I would challenge you. Get some, get some older books from some missionaries and read some of their stories about encounters they had with angels that they never knew they had. One of my favorite places in scripture is Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha. Remember when Elisha went up on the, on the city wall that one morning, early morning, he's having his double espresso and he's sitting there comfortable sipping on his, his espresso. And remember his friend came up, his, his servant, he's going, Elisha, Elisha, why aren't you freaking out? And he says, because I haven't had all my coffee yet and you've had too much, you know? And he's all freaked out and he's like going nuts on him and he goes, dude, take a chill pill. What is the matter? And he goes, look at the army out there. They're gonna kill us. Remember that scene? I know I'm like dressing it up a little bit. But he says, look at all the armies. They're gonna kill us. And do you remember what Elisha did? He took another sip and he goes, dude, hang on. And he goes, Lord, open up his eyes. Let him see. And remember what happens? He opens his eyes and he sees this angel army all around them. And he goes, oh, that's why you're not freaking out. I love that scene. And then, hey, I've read, there's, there's some missionary stories, man. You read and you get chills down your spine where they were surrounded and, and a couple times, man, they're surrounded like by headhunters and they're all around their, their, their cabin and they're gonna come in and they're gonna get them and all of a sudden, they all disappear. And they're going, what happened? And then maybe 10, 12 years later, that tribe gets saved and someone starts talking to him and they go, hey, you surrounded our whole place and you never came in, what happened? And they go, it was because that army showed up and they were around your, they were around your camp. Yes, it's angels. So yeah, they are there, but we don't worship them, we worship Jesus. And the angels even ministered to him, didn't they? Sure. So what is the author's point here? Don't get caught up in angel worship. Worship Jesus. And yes, angels are part of God's plan. But don't get so caught up where you exalt them above their position and where God has placed them. And once again, you can do that by reading other writings, by reading stories and things that people say. And I love those stories about missionaries. They're true stories. But I don't start worshiping angels, and trust me, I don't sit at home, man, I want some angels around here, come on, man. Or, you know, and, and you kind of, I don't want to wear masks in church, so we're going to surround Calvary Chapel with angels, and the police can't get in and make us wear masks, that kind of thing. I don't do that, because here's what I know, my God sends the angels and withdraws the angels. So I'm going to trust my God. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And, and God, we thank you for the challenge today of your word. And as we just think about, it's so easy to get kind of in that place of compromise without ever knowing we're in that place of compromise. God, it is so easy for us 
Even if we shift just a little bit, even, even like for these guys, even if they just say, well, you know, he was, he was almost an angel or he was sort of like an angel and, and all of that so that God, so we can look better in someone's eyes or so we can be closer with somebody or so we don't offend somebody. Lord, I pray that, that the things that we're struggling with, and it's probably not this whole idea that Jesus is an angel, but other things we're struggling with about our God, our Savior, Use this writing to just penetrate our hearts and give us boldness about our God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming and saving us. Thank you for leaving glory and all that that entails and taking on that human form so that we could have eternal life. That is the greatest news of all time. And I pray that you would just continue to draw our hearts close to your heart and that we would see things through your eyes. And I'm gonna ask you to stay just in this place, this attitude of prayer for another couple moments. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if today you've never really asked him to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life, right now is the time to do it. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible teaches us that we have all sinned. And all means all. All of us in this room have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, according to the Bible, what we earned by sinning is death. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, took on a body just like ours, humanity. And he went to the cross and he died. And in that instant of time, he conquered death for us. Once again, not physical death we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual death, separation from God. And he took that eternal punishment that you deserve and that I deserve, and in an instant, in a moment of time, he suffered all of eternity and took that upon himself. And then now for you and me, he holds out this receipt that says, I took care of it, your debt is paid in full. And all you have to do is take that, and here's how you take it. You just call on his name this morning and let him know that you're gonna receive the gift he's given you. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, whether you're watching online in your home, hey, you can say this prayer with us. If you're here today, you can say it. Maybe you're backslidden. Come home, man, come back to Jesus. His heart is always restoration. He will never push you away. He wants you to come back. So you can do that simply by calling on his name. Repeat this prayer after me. You can do it out loud or you can do it silently. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And right now, I wanna thank you for dying for my sins. I wanna thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior. Hey, if that's a cry of your heart and you said that prayer and you meant it sincerely, I want, to, I want you to put your hand up in the air so we can celebrate with you, pray for you, anybody in here. Greatest decision you'll ever make. 
Father, I thank you again. We're, I think we're in a room full of believers here. That's a good thing. And so, Lord, we want to go out and we want to magnify and glorify the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be an example to the world around us. We want others to be able to look at us and see you. And so take over our lives. And Lord, we want that joy, that happiness, that peace, that contentment that comes from following you and trusting you. So give us that determination. Give us that will and that heart to do that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.